I want today to, to, to challenge you with a question. How can we be, after we commit ourselves to God with all our heart, and we do that daily, and we understand that to the degree that we commit and surrender, to that degree God can take over and work. The less we commit, the less God can work. The more we commit and give it to him, the more he can work. And But we still need to talk about another point that is connected to the yesterday's point. Um, how can I, a human being that I have challenges, I mean, I am a... Uh, People that have worked with me, they know uh, God gave me a lot of gifts, but patience is not one of them. <laughs> I, uh, when I was born, God gave me music and this and that and business. And, and uh, I know how to argue. I, I finished law school. I, I never lost any type of argument since I was a child. I always won. <laughs> I am not trying to do that to my wife. I tried a few times and it didn't really go well. So I, uh, I gave up, but uh, uh, many gifts except patience and I've been praying for patience and the more I prayed, the more I lost my temper and uh, how can you grow? Is growth possible? How, how, how do you do that? That should be the today's subject and the tomorrow. How do you help others know Jesus and be saved? I don't know if we have time for both, but, and I'm trying to decide to do today's tomorrow and tomorrow's today, but just stick with the schedule. How do you grow? Uh, 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 God gave me a brain of, full of ideas, too many. If you knew my youth, you know that too many ideas, basically way too many ideas. Uh, when people would talk, before they would finish, I would have a million answers. And when I would see something, I would get 10 ideas right away what to do. And sometimes I struggle because not all of them are good, you know, and I never did drugs, never touched them, smoking, alcohol, never had a girlfriend. My wife was my first girlfriend and obviously last. I put my eyes on her when she was three, literally, I'm not exaggerating, I was six. And I kept my eyes on her and then we dated for many years and then we got married 36 years ago. And basically I, I never did drugs or smoking, but I did pranks. And you will not believe people were afraid of me, so many pranks. For instance, we were camping. I was in sixth, seventh grade and my uncle, who was a mechanic auto, told me one time he was fixing a car and he told me that if you cover the muffler and the smoke cannot go out, there is no exhaustion, there is no uh, smoke coming, then the engine will eventually choke. And uh, I got an idea, we are camping, we are playing uh, over 26 young people, plus a few parents, plus a few elders and the pastor and his wife. Uh, and, and Sunday night we finished, we ate, let's go home. We got in the cars. Well. I ate corn on a cob. What to do with the leftover? I took the cob and stuck it in the muffler of the pastor's car to stop the smoke from coming out. And uh, sure enough, he got in the car, he started, he drove like 50 meters and then the car, pum, 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 and the car died. Everybody came around the car. They lifted the hood. They looked, nothing was wrong. For two hours, they were disparate. And I said, pastor, have you prayed for the car? Oh, Pavel, I didn't. You are a pastor, come on. Oh, okay. They got around the car, they prayed. While they were praying, I took the cub out of the muffler. After they prayed, he tried and the car started and everybody, miracle. 
Uh, but one of the young people didn't close his eyes during prayer and he saw me and he told the pastor and the pastor lost the patience of the saints and he got angry and said, you will never change. You will never grow up. He called my dad and he called my mom. My mom started to cry. What are you going to do with this kid? He's crazy. So many ideas every day. And, and, and my father said, well, I was the same. And my father prayed for me and God changed me when I was 32. I'm praying for him and God is going to change him. And imagine when God is going to turn all that energy into something good. And I was listening to the door and I got another heart beating, not only in the left side, but in the right side. And my father said, I'm praying for him and he's going to grow and change. Do people change? Do people change? Uh, I was in a church in Bucharest and there were many churches and Two of them were quite big, quite large during communism. I was a student in construction university and, and uh, the church was dying, nothing happening. We were not allowed to have pastors. Basically every year the government approved two pastors in the seminary, but there were more than two retiring. So pastors stayed on the pulpit until they were 200 years old. Uh, we had a pastor that was uh, 92, if I remember, I don't call me a 91, 92, I don't remember, but he was old and sick, leaning on the pulpit with his uh, hands and, and doing like, brothers, we got to love each other. He could hardly talk and until he would say 10 words, people were sleeping, deep sleep. I was at the balcony in the choir. I had rice and the tube and I would watch who in the congregation is sleeping and I would shoot them with rice in the head to wake them up. And uh, ideas, you talk about ideas. And so the church was dead. What do you do for a dead church? How do you revive? Is a church going to change? Do people change? Do congregations change? I remember calling my dad and saying, it's boring. People are sleeping, others are playing games during church. The sermon, if you listen to 10 words, you get old, you get gray hair before he would manage to say 10 words. How does this church is gonna change? And my father said to me, I'll never forget. I can do all things in Christ. Son, people try so much to do things in their own. They talk about Christ, but they do it themselves. And we never have the patience to wait upon the Lord. And only those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. And my father said, why don't you start praying? Well, I did. My father said, how long? I, well, I don't remember. That means you didn't. When you pray long, you do remember. And my father said, would you commit three months to pray for that church? I said, well, that's a long time. Well, small prayers, small answers. If you want big answers, you need to pray big prayers, son. Well, I took it to the heart. I respected my father. We were good friends. I started to pray for the church for revival. My best friend that we did a lot of pranks together, he said, what are you doing? You said that you do something special for the church. I said, well, I am praying every morning from 6 to 6.30. I committed three months. He said, let me join you. The two of us were praying every morning and every evening, half an hour. And then we talked to the girl who was playing the piano and the organ for the church and she joined us. And then two more friends and they joined us. We were five and then six and then 11 and then 23 and then 56 young people praying for the church. After six months of prayer, almost the whole youth joined us and then adults. And then we started to meet together 
to pray together, to study together and to plan. We started to visit the sick. We started to visit the elderly and, and, and shop for them and clean and wash. We started to do mission trips. We started to do preaching Bible studies. We started to do evangelism. The church exploded spiritually. I mean, the church was revived. The church started to grow activities every day. People from other churches started to join. Prayer releases God's power that is beyond human understanding. God brings resources and methods that we would not even think about. And so in that time, when we were praying for the church and the church experienced revival after about six months of prayer, it started. And two years later, it was a different church. In that time, some parents came to me and said, Pavel, it's wonderful what is happening. The whole youth praying together and working together. Listen, our daughter left the church many years ago. She doesn't come back or to hear about God. If we talk to her about church, she would hang up and she said, don't ever mention this subject. Otherwise, I'm going to change my address, my email, my Facebook. You don't even know about me. Would you pray for her? We started to pray for her and for 10 other people, altogether 11. By the way, seven, eight out of 11 got baptized within another one year or less. Anyway, and one of them was in the government, in the Communist Party. And he, that's a powerful story by itself. Anyway, we started to pray for that girl. As we were praying and studying, we understood from the quotation, work according to your prayers, that we also have to do something. And ask God for wisdom, what to do for that girl. And God impressed me to learn what she likes because it's Christ's method alone. You need to build friendship. You never bring a stranger to Christ, but only a friend that would trust you. And so I learned that she likes mountains. Well, I like mountains. My wife likes the beach, sunshine. I love mountains. But anyway, uh, uh, I call her. How are you doing? Good. Who, who is calling? I didn't say I am Pavel from the church. I didn't say I'm your friend. She didn't want friends. I said, I'm your enemy. I mean, a shock is better than please come to church. I said, I'm your enemy. She said, what? I said, you heard me. What do you want? I didn't say I want to help you. She would, she would say, I don't need your help. I said, I want to make your life miserable. She said, what? I said, you heard me again. She, uh, she, she says, how can you? You don't even know me over the phone. How can you do that? I said, you love mountains. Yes, me too. And I said, and I'm going to prove you a baby, a new infant. When you talk about mountains, you know nothing. I'm going to tell you about mountains. She said, I know about mountains more than you and your parents and your grandparents and your generation after generation together. I said, really? How many mountains have you visited in Romania? She said, oh, roughly about 15. I said, I visited all. She says, there are no more than 15. I said, yes, there are a lot more that you don't know about. And I said, for instance, do you know that mountain? She said, no. Well, it's in the north. Do you? She was like, uh, how do you know that? I said, I've been in every mountain, every cabin, every path. And after I finished all of them on the map, I started to go and look for new paths. She said, impossible. I said, I have pictures everywhere. I can prove it. And then I said, do you like hiking? Yes. Well, I do go hiking. And in fact, I do climbing without a rope. She says, well, I do that too. It depends where. I said, I went to the cross. She said, that's absolutely impossible. Nobody goes there. Over 2,000 meters, that is, one part is nice and one part is vertical. And from the top at the bottom, you don't see the cars or the houses. They are so small. The city just, just that's. And, and she says, it's impossible to go on that vertical wall. It's absolutely impossible. I said, I've been there. I have pictures and I fell from there. Well, if you fell from there, you'd be dead. I said, well, let me tell you the story. 
my friend and I, when the pastor and the youth went on the normal path, like normal people do, my friend and I went on the vertical one. And we are going slowly, crack from crack, rock from rock, going up. And when we were halfway in the middle, I fell. And what happened? The, the pastor and the youth, as they were going left and right, as the road goes like a Z, when they were all the way to the right, they could see part of the vertical. And they, the whole youth with the pastor, all of them were watching how I felt. So I have, I have witnesses. And I said I had shoes, boots that were for ski. And they didn't have holes for the shoelaces. They had hooks that the shoelaces would go behind. And my hook from my boot got hooked in the hook from my friend's boot. And it was, I was hanging like a pendulum from a shoe hook with my head down. And my friend said, don't move. I said, I'm not moving. And he grabbed a, a, a uh, uh, a part of the rock in his left hand. Uh, he had a stick in his right hand and he lowered the stick. And when I grabbed the stick, the hook slipped and my whole body went down and I was hanging from the stick. And the youth from the church was screaming and praying. And, and basically, eventually I got a crack when I put my hand. I was perspired and shaking like, when, like after an accident. And it took me a few minutes and then I said, you know what, let's find a way to go to the left and get to the path because normal people go that way. But I said, I fell from there and I'm still alive. She said, you are crazy. I said, I know, I have no argument with you there. Everybody knows that. And then she said, what do you want from me? Well, I'm gonna go to a mountain that you never heard about where hot water comes from the ground and, and sparkling water comes from the ground, beautiful lakes. She says, what is that? I said, in the north, it's called Borsha. And I want you to come with us so to, to see a new mountain. She says, who is the group? The group is from the church. I'm not coming. You sing Kumbaya, you pray. I don't want to hear it. I said, this is the deal. Nobody will invite you to our prayer or meetings, nothing. You just go with us in the mountains. Yes, you do. You are going to invite me to pray. No. In fact, if you come, I am going to ask you to leave. If you say, please come, she will say no. But if you say, please leave, then they say, oh, can I come? And so I said, if you come, I'm going to ask you to leave. Why? I don't want you there. You drink, you take drugs. You, I don't want you to be a bad influence for the youth. So please don't even come to our prayer meetings. She said, deal, then I am coming to the mountains. Praise the Lord, I said in my mind. She came to the mountains. We pitched tents. And after we finished that evening, first night, she got in the tent. We built a, a bonfire. And I asked them to build it right in front of her tent. And we started to sing Kumbaya, sure enough, and to pray and to talk. She came out. You said you will not invite me. I said, we invite you to go back in your tent. But you put the group in front of my tent. It took her two hours to take the tent down and install it farther away. As soon as she was done and it was dark and she got in the tent, we moved the bonfire again in front of her tent and kept preaching and sharing. Oh, she got so angry. She says, I cannot move the tent again and again. I cover my head with pillows and I can still hear you. I said, go in the tent. Nobody invite you to, to our prayers. Just leave us alone. But she could hear everything. And, and, and after three nights, she came to me and she said, this is all a lie. I've tried and I never managed. People don't change. We pray, we ask forgiveness, and then we do it again and again and again. Small sins, big sins, doesn't matter. We just have no power to change. You tell them about transformation and growth, it's all a lie. Do people change? I said to her, you are right. 
people don't have the power to change. You are right. Why do you teach them that people change? <clears throat> I said, you are deaf. You are right and deaf. You don't listen. I never said that people have the power to change. I said that people have the power to invite Jesus daily to take over. And when people invite Jesus, Satan has no power over them. And God in you, the hope of glory. He who has Christ has life. I can do all things in Christ, but you need to be in. I can do all things in Christ. You need to be in Christ. As Jesus says, without me, you are nothing. As soon as you separate, you are done. You need to abide in him. And your war is not to change your character. You may desire, you may try, you may change your behavior, but you'll never change your heart. Your war is to stick to Christ. Your war is to be connected 24 seven. Your desire is to never separate from Christ. And he in you is gonna do the growth through ways that you don't even know. She, she said, so what do I do? Is there forgiveness for me? And I told her about Mary and I told her my story. And sure enough, two years later, she was baptized. She went to medical school, she got married. She is a wonderful Christian. She imagined even these days and she says, thank you for sharing with me. It has changed the direction of my life. Do people change? Do churches change? How do we do that? Well, today and tomorrow we'll attempt to, to, to talk about it, go to the main points quick and hopefully have a, a time for a few questions. Uh, <clears throat> I want you to contemplate what he says, uh, Abraham believed and it was considered to him as righteousness. So many times we pray for forgiveness and we don't believe. We wonder, our conscience bothers us. I remember talking to a lady, 90 years old, over 65 to 70 years, an elder. She became an elder when she was young and she was an elder until she died. And she was extremely rich. She owned hundreds of apartments. I don't remember, four or 500 apartments. She owned a, a store. She owned a dealership. She owned a, a furniture factory. She, she was very well-to-do. And that lady was the meanest person I've seen in my life. I mean, even dogs would run away from her. She, and and she, she made my life as a pastor absolutely miserable. She, uh, I remember she was tall, I'm young and short, and, and I mean, no, not, no longer young, I wish I was, but anyway. And, and she came to me with a bent back and she put her finger on my nose and she said, young man, I'm God for you. You do what I say, you stay here. If not, I move you. And my father taught me in communist not to be afraid of people. And I got my back straight and I said, listen, uh, listen, God, I said, you said you are God. I have no other gods except my God that is in heaven and you cannot move me. If God wants to move me, great. If not, you move. And uh, oh, she got so angry and she decided to make my life miserable and she called the conference. One time she said, if you move this pastor, I'm gonna pay the debt for the academy building, uh, $1.6 million. I felt so good about it. Nobody ever put so much money on my head, $1.6 million, I'm worth so much. I said, oh, praise the Lord, you know. Uh, praise the Lord, the conference said, no, you, you, you can keep the money. We just moved the pastor three months ago there. We are not going to move him again. You need to learn to work with him. But anyway, she, long story short, we prayed for, uh, my wife and I prayed for her. The more miserable she made my life, the more we prayed for her. Because my wife would say, maybe God brought you here for her. And you need to love not those who love you. That's what regular people do. If you want to be a pastor, you need to love those who hate you. And, uh, and uh, I remember praying for her after three months, she fell on ice and she broke her hip and her arm. 
She never healed. She died in a few days. I didn't pray for that, that she would die or she would fall, by the way. And anyway, uh, after she fell, my wife said, go to hospital and visit her. And I went to hospital and my wife said, bring flowers. Uh, well, she was my enemy. Uh, I had problems in board meetings. I had problems after a sermon. She would call the conference and she would twist my words. I, I didn't like her either, you know. And so my wife said, buy flowers. I went to Aldi and I bought the cheapest flowers. I would not spend my money on her because she was my enemy. So 249, uh, five uh, roses, the cheapest flowers. I went to hospital and I knocked in the door. I said, hey, I, I came to pray for you and I got you flowers. She took them with her good hand, the left hand, not the broken one, the right one. And she hit me in the head and she says, get away, I don't want to see you. I said, okay, I don't want to see you either, bye. I left. I go home and my wife says, did you pray with her? No, she hit me with the flowers. My wife said, well, it means you didn't pray for her before you went to pray with her. If you would pray for her enough until God would impress you what to do, you would not have this problem, go back. I said, honey, if you want, you go back. She said, honey, then resign. You should not be a pastor if you don't know how to love your enemy. Uh, I didn't like my wife in that moment, but not for too long, uh, you know. <laughs> she says, get in the backyard because we have visitors right now and pray that you will change. God didn't bring you here for her. I think God put her here for you. You need to change, honey. I didn't like what she said, but I knew she was right. I got in the backyard and I asked forgiveness and I said, Lord, change my heart and fill me with the love of Christ that I know how to love my enemies. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And then I prayed for her, and I said, Lord, save her. And it impressed me what my father used to say. You can never help somebody before you are willing to sacrifice self for that somebody. And I said a crazy prayer. I said, Lord, I'm willing to lay my life down if you could save this lady. And then I got peace in my heart. I went inside. I said, I'm going back to her. Pray for me. My wife gave me some Romanian cookies, amazing cookies. Unhealthy, but really tasteful. She said, take these cookies. And I went to hospital and I kept the cookies behind my back because I didn't want her to waste the cookies on my head like she did with the flowers. And I said, lady, I came to pray with you. I don't need your prayers. I hate you, get out. And I said, I got you some Romanian cookies. I don't want you. And then she stops. She says, they smell really nice. I said, heaven, if you taste them, oh, they are the best you can imagine. She said, can I taste one? I said, they are for you. She tasted all of them. She didn't even save one for me. I had water in my mouth. I was watching her eating all of the cookies. And then she said, why do you keep coming? I said, because I'm supposed to love you. How could we be in heaven if we hate each other? She says, but I don't want your prayers and I hate you. I said, lady, I have to confess. I don't like you either. And my wife told me that I cannot be a pastor if I don't learn to, to love you. And I have to confess and ask forgiveness. I really didn't like you either. Please forgive me. She opened big eyes and she said, you are the first pastor to ask forgiveness. The others have fought me and I fought against them. You are the first one to say that it's your fault. You didn't love me enough. And she started to cry. And she says, my parents died when I was two years old in a car accident and they left me great inheritance. And I was in several um, foster homes and I was abused several times and my first husband cheated on me and took half of my money and my second husband cheated on me and took more money and the church I keep giving money but everybody is asking for money but nobody really knows how to love me and I don't even know what love means I'm not sure if there is love ever uh, she started to cry and she said don't pray for me I've done so much wrong in my life there is no grace and forgiveness the Holy Spirit has left me long ago 
I said, what? You are the head elder. How do you know the Holy Spirit has left you? Do you have the Holy Spirit in a box and you looked and the box is empty? How do you know? He said, well, stop joking. I said, how do you know? Well, I don't know. Then why do you say the Holy Spirit has left you? Because I have no feeling that God answered my prayer. I said, prayer is not based on feelings. God doesn't depend on your moods. Prayer is based on God's promise. His word is secure. The Bible says if you confess, he forgives. It is so simple. God doesn't lie. When you confess, he forgives. In that moment, Eleanor says, in the moment we confess and believe, in that moment, Jesus takes our sinfulness over him and he gives us his own white robe of righteousness. In that moment, Jesus takes your sinfulness over him and he gives you his righteousness, his divine, perfect righteousness, and you are like you never did it. In that moment, you are forgiven and cleansed, lady. She says, how do I know? You don't need to know. You don't need to feel. It's not electricity. Bzzz. Oh, I feel forgiven. You don't need to feel. You don't need to smell. You, you don't need to deserve. You need to decide to believe. And she says, and am I forgiven if I ask forgiveness? Yes. She said, come here. I said, nah. I was afraid she's going to hit me. This was a, come here. I said, okay. I kind of slowly went there. She gave me a hug with the other hand, and she started to cry. And she said, do you think there is hope for me to be changed? transformed, saved in God's kingdom. I said, absolutely. If God saved the thief on the cross, if God saved Mary or the woman at the well or Rahab, God can absolutely save you. And she says, well, 70 years ago, I committed something really bad and I prayed all my life for forgiveness. I said, lady, you didn't have a problem of sin. You had a problem of belief. It says in Hebrew 3, they didn't enter because of, not because of the giants, not because of sins, not because of the walls of Jericho, but because of unbelief. When you pray, do you believe that though you don't deserve it, though you don't understand, though you cannot do it, God, through the means that you will never understand, is able and he loves you and he will do it and you don't need to understand, you just need to stick with him? Do you believe and get out of prayer and you start jumping and screaming and rejoicing and dancing a holy dance and saying, I am forgiven and I am transformed? God told Joshua, I have given you Jericho, but that was before God, and God was talking past tense already, like it has already happened, before it happened. God sees the end, and he sees you in heaven already. And, and you need to see that picture, and you start rejoicing, Lord, I don't know how, but I know that you are working on it, and it's secure. And I said, lady, you are forgiven, and you are saved if you stay in Christ. When you separate, you are lost. When you are in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's absolutely secure. If Jesus is in you, you cannot die, lady. And, and, and she said, this is the best news of my life. You are my pastor. And she took the telephone and she called the conference. Don't you move this guy because you'll never see my money. I said, stop doing that. And then she started to call the members. You need to listen to this guy. This is our pastor. I said, stop doing that. And anyway, she died a few days later. But she asked me, would you do my funeral? I almost said that would be my joy, but I didn't. And I said, sure, I will do it. But do people change? What is the process? We'll talk today and tomorrow about change, growth, and saving others. Eleanor says that this is a lifelong process, the sanctification, the growth. It's a lifelong daily process. And so let's talk a little about it. Uh, Abraham believed and it was created to him as righteousness. He, in the moment he believed, he, God's righteousness was given to him. He was as righteous as God himself, if you can even grasp a drop of those, that, that sentence. The righteous shall live by faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's none of yourself, it's the gift of God. People say, what can I do to be saved? You don't do to be saved. 
you believe. Uh, we, because you don't understand God's righteousness, we have replaced it with our own righteousness. And while we say we believe in righteousness by faith, we try to do in order to feel good. Uh, that's paganism. You don't do to believe. Then, then you say, where is what's coming into the picture? Well, I'm going to give you an example, quick example. This is in my imagination, it never happened. Let's suppose, let's just suppose you are broke, you lost your job, you lost your house. I mean, you are, you are going to be foreclosed next week. Uh, you, your car is broken. You, your shoes are broken. You have debt about 100,000 to the school loan, and you have debt about 35,000 to the credit card. And you, I could go on and on. You owe 400,000 to the house, 100,000 to the school, whatever, 600,000 altogether debt, and you have no money, no food for your children, and you cry and you are desperate and you don't even have a car to go job hunting. Okay. And let's suppose your neighbor is uh, Bill Gates or I don't know, somebody rich. Okay. And you are in Michigan, I mean, snow, six months, gray, and, and you are looking for a job and no job and economy is bad. And you go to the neighbor, neighbor, I'm desperate, I have no food. And I need to pay my debt 600,000 and I need to feed my kids. Give me some work to do. And the neighbor says, uh, you don't know business. You don't grasp the picture. If I give you some works to do in order to save yourself, to, to pay your debt, uh, whatever you earn, is gonna make you the most you're living for today, the food for today is not gonna pay your debt. There is no way you can pay for it. You say, well, no, you don't understand. I need to work. I need to do something to help myself. Give me, okay, we got snow last night. Go and shovel my driveway. I'm gonna pay you 25 an hour. Is that good or bad, 25 an hour? Oh, it's pretty good, huh? Okay. And you shovel two hours and he pays you $50. Is that grace or works? It works, you work for it. Does it pay your debt? It hardly covers, I mean, for $50, if you go to Walmart or whatever store, you don't even buy food for a day. You need 200, you know? And so uh, it doesn't help. The next day you go again, neighbor, I could hardly buy some food, but I need to pay my debt. I need to save myself. Please give me more works. And he says, you don't get the picture. Whatever you do is not gonna save you. You need a gift. My friend, you can work forever. Still doesn't help you. No, 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 give me more work. I'm gonna try even harder. And he says, we had no snow last night, I'm sorry. No, well, let me clean the house. My house is clean. A lady already cleaned it today in the morning. Let me do, okay. And he gives you to clean the kitchen and you go in the kitchen, everything is perfect, spotless. And you work five minutes, dust a little, you know, put this back and five minutes. And they say, I, I, it's done. How much should he pay you for five minutes? Two, three dollars, $10, dollars $5? And he gives you $100. Whoa, is that grace or works? It's both, you work five minutes, and he maybe you work for four dollars, and he gave you 96. That's what we say. That does something, and I do a little too. Does it help you that 100? Absolutely not. Then you go next day, I need more, I need to do something. He says, Don't you get the picture? No, 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 I didn't give me work. I'm desperate. And he says, Sit down, let's talk. I don't have time to talk. Sit down, and you sit down. And he starts talking and he tells you two, three hours his life, how he started, how he was broke, how his father died. And you say, well, I never knew that about you. I started to like you. And now he says, tell me your life. And you tell him your life, everything, two, three hours. And after that, he says, you know, I like you too. And you say, man, I, I'm glad we talked. We, we, it seems like we are friends. We know each other more. He says, you know, because I like you now and I understand the big picture, I'm going to give you a gift. And he takes his checkbook and he writes $10 million gift. 
nobody smiles. Okay, 20 million. Are you happy now? Okay, 25 million. You smile, good. He writes you $25 million gift. 25 million, and you say, come on, don't play games. It's too good to be true. This is unbelievable, amazing grace. This is too good. It's unreal. And you say, is it fake or real? He says, why don't you trust me? Because it's, it's impossible. I did nothing for it. It's, who would do that? Who would do that? Well, he says, because we are friends now. And for me, I have 23 billions. For me, uh, 25 millions, it's a drop from the ocean. It's, it, take it and rejoice in it. It's grace. And you say, man, he's going to change his mind. I better run before he changes. You take the check and you run to the bank and ask them to verify. And they verify. They, they say it's a real check. Oh, deposit before he changes his mind. You deposit and then you call your wife. Say, honey, we got $25 million. And she says, are you drunk or what's wrong with you? Who would give you 25? Honey, go online and check it. She goes online and she sees the money in the account. She starts screaming. Ah! And she calls the children and she calls, you know, our wives. She calls everybody, oh, 25 million. We don't have to work. We are set for the rest of the and, and our kids and, and, and from the interest. And she goes crazy. She starts jumping and screaming and, and, and singing. And she, extreme grace. When, he, when you understand, you cannot help. You just scream. And, and after she starts screaming, you you contemplate for a second he gave you 25 million that you don't deserve and you could do nothing you take 100 lives to work and you still cannot pay for it and your debt is erased and you have so much more than you dreamed ever and you don't deserve it and you say you go back to him and you say neighbor i love you with my whole heart i can never pay back but i would like to work for you but i don't need your work. Yes, I don't do it to be paid. I cannot pay back. I just do it because I just, I, I love you. Let me do something. Let me, well, you know, I was planning to plant the garden. Let's plant it together. Okay. Uh, it would be a privilege for me. It would be so much fun. Let's do it. And you work not to be saved. You have already been saved. You work because you understand what he has done for you and you consider it a privilege. Nothing compared to what he has done. Zero. That's where works come in the picture in our salvation. But anyway, going back, what do you do to be saved? How salvation and righteousness works? Uh, without faith, it's impossible. Uh, you see, Abraham believed, the Bible says that he believed against any type of belief. It says there, Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then in Romans chapter four, he says, contrary to any hope against any human logic, uh, people in the Bible have been all crazy. You need to be crazy in order to be saved. I mean, when God would tell you to build an ark, you really need to be crazy to build an ark. When God would tell you that you are forgiven for free, you really need to be crazy. I mean, God's wisdom is craziness for the human normal mind and, and human Wisdom is craziness for God. They are so far from each other, they seem like crazy. You, to believe faith and grace, you need to give up to the human system of thinking and you need to adapt God's way of thinking. And so contrary to any possible hope, he, the Bible says, though it was impossible because of Sarah's deadness of her womb, because she was past giving birth, Abraham was fully convinced that God can keep his promise. He didn't understand how. We need to understand in order to believe. Oh, it's impossible. Abraham didn't need to understand. He was not looking to the problem. He was looking to God. And he says, you know what? It's impossible. But God can say, and it happens. I don't need to think how. I just need to know God enough. And then I can rejoice before it happens. 
the first ingredient for God to be able to work in your life and then through your life is to know him enough to believe strongly. Because if you don't believe, you will never allow him to work. You will jump and you will do it. And number two, you will never obey what he says because it will not make sense for the human mind. And if you try to make sense, you will never believe. You will never obey. You will never make any progress. All of them, sacrifice your son. Uh, think about Elijah. Go before Ahab. That would be suicide mission. Ahab was trying to kill Elijah. Uh, all of them had to know God enough to believe and act without understanding. Unless you have a strong personal connection with God, you'll never grow and you'll never help anybody to grow. How can you help them trust in God if you don't trust God enough? You will never help anybody. You need to be spiritually filled with God's presence in order for God to work in you and through you. And that's the essential ingredient. Abraham was fully convinced against any type of hope. Well, think about it. Nonsense story that you all can improvise it. Nonsense story. Abraham goes to Andrews and Sarah is in nursing program in Andrews or in computer program, whatever. And, and Abraham is taking whatever, I don't know, school. And, and he sees Sarah and he says, man, she looks good. I'm going to date her. And they are dating and they finish school and they get a job in Florida. And they say, okay, we finish school, we are married, we have a salary, it's time to have a baby. And let's, as the spirit of prophecy would suggest, let's try to draw a parallel between Abraham and our lives and understand how faith and righteousness works. And so let's try to imagine that as Abraham was trying to have a baby, we tried to get righteousness. They said, let's get a baby. And they tried really hard. Nothing happened. As we try really hard and we fail again and again. And the growth doesn't happen. We, uh, if we pray for patience, the more we try, the, the more we lose our patience. And so uh, Abraham and Sarah decided that it's not enough to try. They need to go to a good seminar on how to have babies. So they go to, I don't know, Mark Finley, Dwight Nelson, find a good preacher, a good committed, experienced preacher. They go to the best seminar on how to have righteousness, how to have babies. And after they listen to the seminar, they learn how to swim, they learn how to, but they just don't, still don't have babies. Uh, so many sermons that we hear in a lifetime and we still struggle. Because it's not what you know, but it's who you know. Anyway, and so after they go to seminars, they try to eat tofu and broccoli and green beans. They, they switch their diet. Still no righteousness, no babies. And after they do that, they try and try and they fail and fail until they get discouraged. And in their mind, while they go to church, say, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. How is everything? Everything is good. Praise the Lord. Inside, they are miserable. They have no power. So what do they do? Why would God not answer to their prayer? Because if God answered, they would have thought, it was God and me. I did five minutes and he did rest, the rest. But God allows you to hit the bottom to the point that you know that you are nothing. You know nothing. You deserve nothing. You can do nothing. And you totally depend on Christ. And when you acknowledge your total dependence with a broken, honest heart, and you say, Lord, I need you desperately, then, God intervenes. And so when Abraham and Sarah get to the point to know that there is no way in human power they can have righteousness, babies, uh, I mean, think about it. He's 75, she's 65. The Bible says she was way beyond 
uh, childbearing, uh, when, when they know that they cannot have babies, God comes to Abraham and says, your babies are going to be as much as the stars. Now, that's crazy. I mean, even if you had one a year, how can you? But Abraham doesn't think impossibilities, doesn't look to the problem. He looks to God. Abraham doesn't fix his eyes on challenges. He fixes his eyes on God. And he says, if God says so, I don't need to understand how. I just need to trust him. And so he believes. Now, listen carefully. From the moment God told him to the moment he had the baby, it was another 25 years. In the Bible, most of the time, answer to prayer. It's a process, not an event. You need to keep praying so God could keep working. He's working on it. But the answer will come later. For instance, for instance, my son, he was three years old. I had a nice, nice, nice motorcycle. I had many motorcycles. I love motorcycles. I hope God will let me to have a motorcycle in heaven. Why not? My motorcycle never sinned. My motorcycle is perfect. And so uh, my son, I came home and my son says, Dad, you have a perfect bike. I said, absolutely perfect. It's, it's spotless, seamless. It's, it's a dream. And my son says, Dad, can I have a bike like yours? I said, son, you are three years old. This bike is gigantic. You cannot even get on it. It's, you need one small, like Hot Wheels, $2 bike? He says, no, 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 no. I want the real deal, dad. I want to, 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 to drive it. I said, son, you cannot. You cannot do that. He says, but you can, father, you can do it for me. I said, no, it's too, it takes time. It's a process until you will be able to handle it. He said, but, but give me one that I can ride. I said, okay, I'm going to give you one with remote. No, 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 no. I want to get on it. Okay, I'm going to get you one that is short, but it is a real one. It has three wheels, not two. It has pedals, no engine. But can I ride it? Yes, you will be able to ride it, but it's according to your power and your maturity. Okay, dad, that's good enough. And as I grow, you give me more. As you grow more and more, then I give you more and more. It's a process, son. He says, when are you giving me the bike? I said, tomorrow, five o'clock when I come from work. And he's going to be Three wheels and pedals. Yes. Can you make it, make sure that it's blue? Yes. You promise. I promise. In that second, my son started to scream like crazy. I mean, he's like, whoa, what happened? Ah! And he stormed through the door in front of the building. He called all the kids from the neighborhood and he says, I have a motorcycle. It is nice. It is blue. It has three wheels. It has pedals. Oh man, it's to die for. And the kids, can we see it? It comes tomorrow. He was already rejoicing because he knew. If I promise, it is secure. And we don't trust God. We pray and we doubt. Ellen White says, if God would open our eyes, we'd be ashamed. Angels who see God, they wonder, why don't we trust him? When you pray, if you know God, that's the key. If you know God, you need to scream and jump. It is secure. The answer comes in the right time gradually. But God is working on it. And that's secure enough that you can rejoice. So Abraham prayed. The answer took 25 years. Now Abraham, 11 years later, stopped looking to God and he started to help God and he slept with his servant and they had a baby, Ishmael, and that was a mess. It's still a mess today. And so God doesn't need your involvement. God needs your trust. And so going back, I want you to imagine 24 years later, after God promised, Abraham is 99. Can you imagine his head shaking, hardly walking? 99. And Sarah is 89. He goes to the gas station. His hands are shaking. His head is shaking. He's putting gas. And on the other side of the pump, Jim, his neighbor, hey, man. Yeah, 
I, I heard you changed your name. Uh-huh. What is your name now? Abraham. You know what it means? Uh-huh. Father of many nations. How many kids do you have? None. How old are you? 99. Duh. You must be crazy to believe that transformation and salvation is possible. But Abraham believed because he fixed his eyes on God, not on self or people or problems. You must be crazy. I'm talking about holy craziness. You need to be so crazy that in spite of human impossibilities, when you see no way, you know God enough to say, I know in whom I have believed. And I don't even allow myself to think doubt. Eleanor says, don't allow doubt. Talk faith, pray faith. And so that takes relationship strong enough. You don't know somebody unless you spend time with that somebody. That takes a lot of time with God to know him enough to trust him in spite of impossibilities. And so Abraham got the baby because of his faith. God honors faith for by grace you have been saved through faith. And uh, Steps to Christ, page 49, says money cannot buy it, talking about righteousness. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain it. You can never hope through own efforts to secure it. But God gives it to you as a gift by faith. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Let me give you another quotation. We need to finish. I promise that I will finish in time today because yesterday I abused uh, grace. But today I want to uh, finish in time. Let me, let me uh, put the quotation on the screen so we all can read it uh, because you will read better than my English. And so let me give me one prophetic second here. Okay, I found it. Okay, <clears throat> one second. Share screen, done. It says here, hold on, I want to make it bigger. Too big, sorry. Okay, I hope you can see it. You are a sinner. You cannot atone for your past sins. You cannot change your heart. You cannot make yourself holy. But God promised to do all of this through Christ. You must believe. If you believe, God supplies the facts and he makes you whole. Don't, listen carefully, listen carefully. I want you to hear this. Don't wait to feel. Oh, I don't feel God is answering. God doesn't depend on your moods, chemistry, or feelings. <clears throat> God loves you when you feel it and God loves you the same when you don't feel it. Look to his promise. Don't look to your feelings. Do not wait to feel, but say, because whatever you say influences the way you think and the way you act. I believe, I believe, you know, I believe because God promised and thank God in advance that you have already received them before you receive them. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Let me <clears throat> read another quotation. Through the simple act of believing, the Holy Spirit has already started a new life in your heart. You are a child born in the family of God and he loves you just as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? As you read God's promises, remember their expression of unutterable love and pity. The great heart of the infinite love is drawn towards sinners with boundless compassion. Yes, believe that God is your helper. He wants to restore his image in you. As you draw near to him with confession, he will draw near to you with mercy, forgiveness, and a new life. Isn't that absolutely amazing? 
We don't have time. I had a, a closing story. We don't have time for that. We'd rather stop right here. There is somebody else that will have the benediction. Maybe we'll take five minutes for questions and answers, and then I have to speak here where I am. But it is so sad that many times Christians don't have joy. How could we give hope to others if we don't have hope? And we don't have hope and power and joy because we too many times look to self, look to problems and try to do it on our own. Instead of spending enough time to know our God and to invite him daily in our heart and give it to him and surrender it daily and believe that God, though we may not understand how, we may know that we don't deserve it, believe that he, if he gave Jesus, how will he not also do the other things? What would be easier? To, to work in you or give his son? If he gave his son, how will he not also do the other things? To believe that though you don't deserve it and you don't understand it and you cannot do it, to believe that God in his amazing grace will do more than you can imagine or pray or grasp. And when you'll be in heaven, you are gonna be in awe and you'll say, why am I here? And you are gonna bow down and put your crown to his feet and say, it's yours, I don't deserve it. Yes, you, and yet nevertheless, I'm here. So we need to have that type of relationship to the point that we know him enough to praise him before it happens. God bless you.